Women's Health Melbourne is a boutique specialist fertility and women's health practice, caring for women at all life stages. We're proud to provide world-class holistic medical care, including IVF and a range of other fertility treatments. We provide our patients with every opportunity to achieve their goals. Our two Melbourne locations are in Fitzroy and our new state-of-the-art Caulfield practice. Reach us at womenshealthmelbourne.com.au and you can follow both Women's Health Melbourne and Dr Rayleigh Alou on the socials. Confused about fertility and trying to get pregnant? Want to know more but don't want to flag it to the world? Welcome to our podcast, Knocked Up. I'm your host, Geordie Morrison. I have no medical background, but I'm a 40-year-old woman who has gone through freezing her eggs. And I'm joined, as always, by Dr. Rayleigh Alou, a CREI certified reproductive endocrinologist and infertility specialist. We started this podcast with the aim to provide easy to understand information on hard concepts relating to fertility, infertility and all aspects of women's health. We love reading our listener reviews and work hard to take feedback on board. If you enjoy listening to Knocked Up and find our resource useful, please take a moment to leave a review. This really helps others to find us. Welcome back, Raylia. Thank you for joining me on this last minute episode. Welcome. How are you, Jordi? I'm okay, getting a bit tired, but I, it's a bit late at night, but I just thought, as did you, that it had been a day to remind us that this is something we need to talk about. So it's the 1st of October, it's the start of Miscarriage Awareness Month, and as everyone on any media would know today, Chrissy Teigen miscarried, and she has shared that experience with everyone. Um, and whilst we really feel for Chrissy and John and baby Jack, who she lost, possibly around mid-term of pregnancy, we're not going to speak specifically about Chrissy, but this episode is really for everybody else who has gone through loss. And it's so common, you know, it, it's one of those situations where part of having babies is losing babies, very sadly. And I always say to my patients who have miscarriages that, you know, usually it's the same group of women who have miscarriages as go on to have healthy babies. And most women who have had a healthy baby have in fact also suffered a miscarriage. It's really so common. Absolutely. That's one of the reasons why we started Knocked Up was because I kept asking you questions because so many of my friends were miscarrying and all of them now have healthy babies. But back then, that wasn't the case. Why? I, I think what interests me about Chrissy's case is just that she's miscarried quite late, as far as we know, about, about 19 weeks into the pregnancy. That's unusual, isn't it? So miscarriages in general are much more common at early stages of a pregnancy. They happen really commonly even before a woman knows that she is pregnant. And we think that in a lot of cycles where a period might be delayed a day or two, that in fact it's a conception cycle. And often I get a history that 
when a woman has a clockwork menstrual period and suddenly she tries to conceive, instead of having that 28, 29 day cycle, she'll have a 30 day cycle or a 28 day cycle followed by a 35 day cycle. And what we see happening here or what we surmise is happening here is that actually egg and sperm are getting together and an embryo is implanting. And a lot of the time, things don't go entirely to plan. In the first trimester of pregnancy, that is usually where most miscarriages do unfortunately happen. And in fact, most miscarriages happen before really six or seven weeks of pregnancy. And in a lot of miscarriages that are discovered after six or seven weeks of pregnancy, we see that the baby stopped growing around that time. And that's what we call a missed miscarriage or the old fashioned term is a missed abortion. It's really sad and really unfortunate when pregnancies are lost later than that. But unfortunately, we do see miscarriages happening in the second trimester for some women and couples. Sometimes there's an obvious reason. Sometimes it's because the mother has caught an infection during the pregnancy. Sometimes it's because the baby has had a developmental problem or concern that just meant it couldn't keep growing. And sometimes it's because of preterm labor or so-called cervical insufficiency or cervical weakness. The old fashioned term for that is also cervical incompetence, which is pretty much a horrible term. Mm. It can be because of a placenta that bleeds or because of a trauma like a car accident or violence in the family can bring on a miscarriage um, or violence to a woman in any way, especially if there's a blow to the belly. And it can be because of syndromes that are associated with a risk of miscarriage, such as antiphospholipid syndrome, which is one of the rare causes of recurrent miscarriages in women. We say a pregnancy lost up to 20 weeks is called a miscarriage. If a pregnancy is lost beyond 20 weeks, it's termed a stillbirth. Okay, that makes sense. The baby's almost viable at 20 weeks. Is there a difference in women who have IVF and miscarriages versus women who don't? Yes and no. So one thing about IVF is it's something that we use for a huge variety of different contexts. And one of the contexts that we use IVF for is when fertility naturally declines in advanced maternal age. And the definition from a medical perspective of advanced maternal age is anyone over 35. So, you know, there's a lot of 35 plus women out there who might not think of themselves as of greatly advanced age, but from a reproductive <laughs> perspective, that is what the definition is. It used to be called a geriatric pregnancy in a pregnancy over 35. That's oh, if you that's ask how lovely <laughs> one generation ago, that's what they would have called a 35 year old mother, especially if it was a first pregnancy. Now it's so, almost normal. That's it. So as we get older, our eggs, which we make when we ourselves are in utero, have metabolic problems and they tend to make mistakes a lot more readily and a lot more often. And so when we are treating women over 35 in IVF, 
the chance of having a miscarriage is proportional to the age of the mother. So when you are 40, for example, like you and I, unfortunately, whether a pregnancy is IVF conceived or naturally conceived, the risk of that losing that pregnancy is one in two. So it's high, 50%. It's like flipping a coin. Now in IVF, we have some tools that can be used to reduce that risk profoundly because a lot of those miscarriages are embryo problems and mainly DNA problems. And in IVF, we have the power to check the DNA of embryos. It's not something we do for every patient. And it's only really of huge benefit when we have a lot of different embryos to choose from. And we're looking for the golden egg or the egg or embryo with the the normal DNA amongst the majority that don't have normal DNA. You can argue that if a woman and a man or two women and a donor have, or one woman and a donor have only one embryo that's in the running for a transfer, it's very reasonable not to test that embryo and just give it a go because that embryo to be tested has to be subjected to freezing and warming and and biopsy in between and you could hurt the embryo and there's a an argument to just give it a go but know that that risk of miscarriage is there can miscarriages be prevented it doesn't sound like they can some miscarriages can be prevented and most can't so the kind of miscarriage that can be to some degree prevented is a miscarriage due to an underlying maternal problem, a problem that lies with the woman, whether that be progesterone deficiency, we can, pre- we can prevent miscarriage by giving extra progesterone. In some syndromes such as antiphospholipid syndrome, which is a rare syndrome, and I would stress that it is a very rare syndrome. Most women who think they might have autoimmune reasons for miscarriage actually don't. You know, and, and one of the things that I deal with a lot uh, when I see patients who are suffering from a miscarriage, especially if it's the first miscarriage that they've ever had, is that I notice that there's a lot of anxiety mm-hmm. about why the miscarriage happened and women blame themselves for the miscarriage or they blame their behavior or the fact that they accidentally ate a piece of unpasteurized cheese or the fact that they had, you know, a little bit of um, some kind of physical issue, like they might've done some active exercise or they might've had sex and they worry that that has caused their miscarriage. I would say 99% of miscarriages when it's the first miscarriage you've ever experience have nothing to do with the woman's behavior and are completely outside of the woman's control. And when you do find someone who's had miscarriage again and again and again, that's the kind of scenario where we think, okay, there's an underlying pathology here, what's going on? And there can be structural issues like fibroids in the uterus that are in the cavity of the uterus and stopping good placental formation happening that can cause miscarriages that's actually a very satisfying thing to diagnose and treat because we can remove the fibroids and Mm. help a woman to have a a healthy pregnancy and I've had patients more than once in that situation 
in terms of antiphospholipid syndrome, when we diagnose that, we can treat antiphospholipid syndrome with blood thinners and with some, some immune modulating therapies, and that can help women in that particular scenario. Uh, in terms of other reasons, the, the main reason that women miscarry is the baby makes a mistake. And it's unbelievable when you think about a normal pregnancy, what happens. You have a single cell, an egg, and a single cell, a sperm. They get together. They have to have exactly the right amount of DNA. They started off with much more DNA and they reduced the DNA in their cell to generate genetic diversity, to take some genes from each of the, the sperm and egg owner's parents exactly the right combination but some from each and put them together to make a unique combination of new dna to make a new roadmap for a new human being so the instruction manual has to be correct and it has to be complete and then it has to enact that instruction manual exactly and perfectly right at every step along the way as that one single celled embryo multiplies and multiplies and multiplies, becomes a multicellular organism, forms complex organ systems and develops a placenta. And bear in mind, if you have a healthy baby, nothing can go wrong. This has to be orchestrated with perfection. It's unbelievable how often it goes right. When you put it like that, it is actually crazy how often it goes right. What happens when somebody miscarries? So there's a couple of different scenarios as a miscarriage can happen. You can have a miscarriage that's revealed. And usually what happens then is you have bleeding and you can naturally resolve a miscarriage. Your body can resolve a miscarriage without any intervention uh, if this happens by passing pregnancy tissue and blood. Bleeding can be quite heavy, but it isn't always. And it really depends on the stage of pregnancy that a miscarriage happens. So a miscarriage that happens, say, a week after the misperiod would be mm. a lot like a heavy period and not too much heavier than a heavy period. Whereas a miscarriage that happens in the second trimester uh, would be almost like giving birth, you know, to a very small baby. So it's very, very different. Uh, mm. In terms of a missed miscarriage, that's when you have an ultrasound that diagnoses your miscarriage because the baby stopped growing, but you haven't had any signs of having lost the pregnancy. That can be shocking. And it also puts you in a situation where you have to think, okay, well, what am I going to do? And different women have different feelings about what they would like to do mm. and most of the time you don't have to make a decision immediately so okay. what we know is that if you wait between two and three weeks and do nothing just giving mm. the body a chance for pregnancy hormones to come down and for the cervix to start to dilate and for your body to start to resolve a miscarriage more naturally then there's not an increased risk of having an infection in the womb. That's what we worry about in terms of doing nothing for a long period of time. 
we think and the evidence points from medical experience and the medical literature that after two to three weeks, if a miscarriage has not resolved, women in that situation are at risk of infection and we really should do something about it. Now, a woman might not want to wait two to three weeks for something to be done about their miscarriage once it's been diagnosed. Mm. And that's also fine. So there are different ways we can manage a miscarriage with medical help. We can use medications to try and really ask the body to resolve a miscarriage in a natural way, but faster. Mm -hmm. And we can also do a procedure which is generally known as a DNC or suction curatage, which is a way of emptying the womb. Uh, and we do that under anesthetic. And there is an advantage of that in terms of it's easier to get some tissue from the pregnancy to send for a diagnosis. And sometimes we want more information, especially if it's somebody who's had more than two or three miscarriages, um, mm. then we want to know, is there something going on here? Can we learn anything by knowing about the DNA of the baby? And we can send that away. Okay. We also need to make sure for every miscarriage that we know that the miscarriage has fully resolved one way or another, because there's a particular kind of pregnancy called a molar pregnancy, which is kind of when sperm and egg get together and can behave a little bit like a cancer. And that's kind of scary. Mm. When you've had a molar pregnancy, it's really important for your doctor to know that your HCG hormone level has come down to zero and stayed below zero. And some women who've had a serious molar pregnancy that isn't resolving by itself have to have serious interventions. We sometimes use medications that are using chemotherapy to get rid of a molar pregnancy that won't go away. And we sometimes ask a woman to wait for a certain amount of time before getting pregnant again, just to make sure that there's no pregnancy cells acting like a cancer. And that's otherwise known as gestational trophoblastic disease. So it's a special kind of miscarriage that we don't want to miss. You sort of mentioned that we can, we can learn from the miscarriage. So once you've miscarried, what are there tests that are done before you might try to get pregnant again? Is there, I know every case is different, but is, is in general terms, what can be done from a medical perspective before trying again? And how long should you wait after miscarrying? Well, look, sometimes we do the test for reassurance and it's important to understand that at least two thirds of all miscarriages occur because of a random chromosome error in the baby. And so if we understand that that was the reason for the miscarriage, if we do a, a chromosome study called a carrier type on the pregnancy tissue, and we understand that that's the reason and it was beyond the control of the mother, that mm -hmm. can sometimes give the mother more confidence moving forward to try again. Or she might decide that she wants to do IVF because she wants to choose an embryo with the right DNA so it doesn't mm. happen again, especially if this is something that's happening over and over in a woman who's older. And sometimes doing IVF and choosing an embryo with the right DNA is the right thing to do in that circumstance. 
I guess it would differ depending on what treatment you received at the end of the miscarriage. But from a physical perspective, how long does it take to recover before trying again? So physically, uh, it really depends. And it really depends on how a miscarriage is managed. Mm, Okay, right. So if you you took the medicine or if you got the DNC. It can be more drawn out if you're waiting, you know. Mm. Um, The amount of time that it takes to recover from a miscarriage physically is generally much less than mentally. You know, that it's generally the next month that you can try again when you get your next period from a physical perspective. That's something I'm asked all the time. Do I have to wait? The answer is no. There's no reason you need to wait if you're ready to try again, unless you need a bit of headspace, which is fine. It's going to be my my next question was going to be, what do we do about emotional recovery after miscarriage? Well, I think women do need support and I'm a big Mm -hmm. fan of you know, psychological counselling from a, from a trained psychologist. And, you know, I think that's because we, we don't talk about it and it's not something that we go to our friends and talk about. Some of us are very lucky and we feel we can do that. But, you know, people don't want people breathing down their neck every five seconds and mm-hmm. saying, are you pregnant? Are you pregnant? What are you doing? So often we keep these things to ourselves a little bit. Yeah, especially if it happened in the first trimester, people may not know may not know that you're pregnant. Yeah, yeah and workplace colleagues, we might worry about mm. discrimination if people think that we're trying to have a baby. So I don't think we have a safe space as women to really fully trust everyone around us to let them in and know that that's where we're at, that we're trying to get pregnant. Uh, and, you know, that's hopefully something that may change, but I think it's a reality at the moment. There are other tests that can be targeted to an individual that look at reasons that are underlying specific disease states that can be associated with miscarriage. There's no one size fits all package. What I would suggest is that if you have experienced miscarriages, then it's probably a very reasonable thing to come and see someone like myself and have a full history. Your partner needs to be involved. Some causes of miscarriage come from the male. And if we don't investigate the male, we may miss a reason, such as a paternal carrier type problem, for example, a chromosome translocation or inversion from the male is a cause of miscarriage that If you don't look for it, there's no way you'll find it. The sperm will look normal on a test. Mm. So it's something you really have to have an index of suspicion to look for as an example. In terms of immune studies, there's a whole gamut of complicated tests that I would do if I'm worried about an autoimmune cause of miscarriage. There are genetic tests that we do looking at miscarriage as well. And in terms of uh, moving forward we want to make sure that everything that we can affect and optimize is optimized so you may not have a miscarriage because your thyroid was underactive but having a perfectly controlled thyroid reduces your risk of miscarriage and you may not have had a miscarriage because you're an undiagnosed celiac but if you are an undiagnosed celiac treating your celiac disease with dietary change does reduce your future risk of miscarriage. So these are things, for example, that we look for and we target to try and make sure that 
the risk of miscarriage is reduced moving forward. We like you to have an adequate folate replacement in one form or another that suits your body. And women who don't have enough folate are at an increased risk of miscarriage. We need to check if you have any insulin resistance or underlying diabetes that switches on in pregnancy because women with uncontrolled sugars are at an increased risk of miscarriage. So you really need a holistic and global fertility assessment if you've had two or more miscarriages and it's worth really getting that opinion so that we can move forward. A lot of the time, having had those assessments, we'll find that there is nothing the matter with you, which is both frustrating and also a gift because it means that you've got an excellent chance of success moving forward in your goal of ultimately having a healthy baby. We've got quite a few resources on miscarriage available. There's several blogs. There's a previous podcast from 2018 that we'll put links to. We'll also put links to some support networks to reach out to if you think you need some mental support while you're going through this. Um, it's all probably, I'm going to say, maybe worth listening to some of our episodes about general health and getting yourself ready for pregnancy. One of the things we've spoken about in some of our podcasts about maximising or optimising your health before starting fertility treatment is about stopping smoking and having regular exercise and cutting out processed foods. So we'll make sure links to all of those topics that we think could relate to miscarriage are in the show notes for you. And I would just say to any woman who's experienced miscarriages, I know I've had several personally, you know, most women who have miscarriages do go on to have healthy children and it's a sadness but it is part of our biology that the body doesn't support a pregnancy if not everything is right and most of the time it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you it's just the body's way of ending a pregnancy that unfortunately didn't have the potential to be a baby thank you so much Raylia, for joining me this evening thanks geordie Thank you for listening to Knocked Up. If someone you know could benefit from listening to this episode, please send them the link. And for more information on miscarriage, fertility and women's health, you can visit womenshealthmelbourne.com.au and I'll include plenty of references in the show notes. Thank you so much.